Hey guys, and welcome to the Pacing Racing Podcast Experience, the Canadian triathlon podcast made in mind for the age group triathletes. Now, today's guest is professional Australian triathlete, SCOTI athlete, Super League triathlete, and Blue 70 athlete, Felicity Sheedy Ryan. Now, I'm super excited to talk about today's episode because, of course, Blue 70 and SCOTI both happen to be supporters of this podcast channel. So, I'd love to get to chat with pro triathletes that wear both of those brands, and Felicity happens to represent both. Now, I mean, aside from her great taste in apparel and swimwear, she's also a super lead triathlete, which has been all the rage as a lately, and I can't wait to dive into more of it in today's episode. So Felicity tied in second in Bali at the Super League qualifiers, which gave her a golden ticket to compete in the Super League Championship Series this year, so she'll be able to compete with the best triathletes in the world competing for the championship title. Now, Felicity notably has been a two-time world duathlon champion and has competed in the ITU series now for over 10 years. So she's got a ton of knowledge and experience that we'll get to listen into today. So guys, obviously I can keep going and it, but sounds much better coming from her. So enjoy the episode and let's cue the music. So today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors who I'm beyond humbled and excited to represent. The first one is Scody. Now I'm excited to work with Scody and represent them because I've always been back and forth between triathlon suits and triathlon apparel as there's just so many different styles and quality out there and price ranges are obviously a huge factor for me. So Scody's always been an eye catcher and you may have heard some of your favorite triathletes and cyclists like Triathlon Taryn and Melissa Hoschild are huge Scody supporters. So let me break it down what separates Scody from the other triathlon apparel that I've tried in the past. Now, first off, the range of apparel they have is simply amazing. They have cycling jerseys, bibs for men and women. They have running shirts, jackets, singlets, shorts. And for triathletes, they honestly have some of the best designed triathlon suits and shorts I've ever seen. Now, they have designers at hand and can offer custom design apparel, which was another important factor for me because I wanted to create an amazing custom triathlon suit to represent pacing racing and they definitely exceeded my expectations. Now, you can see the final product of that by searching my Instagram at pacing.and.racing. It's absolutely my favorite triathlon suit that I've worn yet, and I can't wait to represent it in my 2019 season. So lastly, the quality and price were another huge important factor for me. And the fact that I'm able to find an apparel and tri-suit brand that offers professional quality, but still offers it at a price that the average age grouper can afford is what sealed the deal. Now, all their apparel is pro-grade and wearing it, it won't chafe on long races and it won't suffer the wear and tear like many of the other cheaper products do that are on the market today. So for all you diehards out there, they also offer the customized ITU compliant suits. So if you guys want to check them out, you can find them on Instagram by searching at Scody Australia, which is spelled at S-E-O-D-Y-A-U-S, or go to www.scody.com slash pacing and racing. And of course, use the 10% off code pace and race. Or if you're on Facebook, you can search Scody Australia. Now, the second sponsor is a brand that has been dating back to 1993 and has truly held the test of time, and that is Blue 70. Now, Blue 70 is a triathlon and swimwear company that are probably most well-known for their professional-quality wetsuits. But they also have a massive inventory of swimwear like swim skins, jammers, gear bags, goggles, and pool accessories. Now, I mean, what are pool accessories? They're basically anything to help you train in the pool, like hand paddles, pull boys, kickboards, and core shorts for the added buoyancy. And I mean, for all you crazy swimmers out there who go in the open water as early as March in places like Canada, they also have those thermal swimwear options for you that help you in those much colder temperatures. 
So now Blue 70 is known to have some of the best wetsuits, the swim skims, and jammers. So if there's something you want to try out, then definitely be sure to check out their website. And I personally wear their Helix Men's wetsuit, and it's honestly my favorite wetsuit I've ever worn because it just honestly fits so snug, and there's zero restriction, which is the nicest feature. And, I mean, there's another nice feature that the zipper actually does up from the neck and sits down at your lower back when zipped, so you don't find any of the normal chafing you do with most of the other wetsuits you try on, which was always a big thing I noticed in prior wetsuits, that coming out of the water, my neck would always be so red and sore, and it was just chafing from the zipper after the, the two-kilometer swim or the 1,500-meter swim. So, I mean... It's a super cool wetsuit, and the fact I'm getting to wear the same wetsuit as some of my idols like Braden Curry and Lionel Sanders, it just makes it that much better. So for all you who are actually curious to see more Blue 70, then you can check out the Pacing Racing YouTube channel where we go into detail on on all the Blue 70 wetsuits, the swim skins, pool accessories, and how you can determine what wetsuit and accessories you need based off your skill level, budget, and goals. So if you're searching for basically anything to improve your swim training and have some awesome swimwear, which I mean, everyone's always looking for ways to improve their swim, then they can go ahead out. They can go ahead and check out the blue 70 on Instagram and that's at blue 70 or go to www.blue70.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can search blue 70. So Felicity Sheedy Ryan, welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me come on. <laughs> yeah, no worries at all. Obviously, thanks so much for coming on the show. Obviously, you're very busy, so it means a lot that you came on today to talk. Now, I mean, I guess the first question I want to start off and asking, because this is something I noticed, is people call you Flick as a nickname. <laughs> so so is there an interesting story behind that, or what's the reasoning? Yeah, no, look, it's, it's not really a super interesting story, but yeah, I've, I've probably not really known as Felicity much anymore. <laughs> um, most people tend to call me Flick. No, it's just an abbreviation and it's it's certainly stuck over the years and I think most of the time I end up introducing myself as Flick as well. So it's probably more stuck with me than my real name. <laughs> no way. That's interesting. Yeah, no, it's because I, I was uh, actually talking to Elliot from Scody actually and he mentioned your name as Flick. I was like, oh, that's that's the second time I've heard that. So that's uh, it's interesting. Uh, very, very yeah, exactly. Cool. No one, no one calls me by my full name. I think it's just too much of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Hey, eh? all right. So going further, you'll be known as Flick here. So <laughs> makes it easier. Awesome. Oh, so, good. <laughs> so I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I want to talk to you about today, but and we'll dive into all that sort of shortly. But I mean, before we do that, are you able to fill us in a little bit about your background, like sort of how you first got into triathlon, and I mean, ultimately when you decided that you thought you could become a professional triathlete. Yeah, sure. Um, it's going back a while, <laughs> quite a while now. Um, I originally got into it because my dad was doing one of the, the corporate triathlons uh, with his work and they needed a swimmer, uh, which is funny because that was the only thing that I didn't do at that time. Um, so I just jumped in with the team with them and, you know, it certainly sounds a bit cliche, but I just absolutely loved it and was was hooked straight away and did the next one uh, with him as a as a full triathlon with the next corporate event that they had. And yeah, I pretty much loved it from there and didn't really turn back. Um, so I started getting into them uh, just for, for fun then and enjoying it. And then uh, that was probably like the last year of school for me around about the first year of uni and you know pretty quickly I decided I, I wanted to give it a proper crack and I went pro there the next year. Awesome and that's amazing and so now I noticed you had 
or that you were, sorry, a two-time world duathlon champion. So did you, did you start as a duathlete and then sort of worked your way over to triathlon or sort of how'd that all go about? No, not at all. Um, as I said, I, I jumped into the tries and, and loved them. And then my, my strongest leg is, is running. Um, uh, probably the, the land sports are probably where I'm more suited. And yeah, an opportunity came up to give uh, World Duathlon uh, a crack back in, I think my first one was in 2000 and might've been 2010. Uh, and I finished third there and, and then, yeah, I came back for two more and was lucky enough to, to win two world titles from it. So yeah, for the most part, Giraffin was just a, an offshoot to complement what I was doing. You know, I was still training full time for the tries and yeah, they just, it just sort of plays to my strengths a bit more and was something fun and new and a bit different to do. And yeah, I really enjoy that type of racing as well, but I, I certainly always had the focus on, on triathlons only really. For sure. Eh? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and now what's interesting is, so going back to the end of March, you actually just completed the Super League qualifier in in Bali. And now I just want to formally say, actually, congratulations on your golden ticket because uh, that was pretty incredible. And it was, a, it was a good weekend. So I think you did awesome there. <laughs> yeah, I was saying thanks so much. I was, I was absolutely wrapped, wrapped with it. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was super exciting to be over there. And, you know, one of my goals was certainly to try and, now one of those elusive golden tickets and I was very lucky to get the the third and lucky last for the day. So yeah, I certainly took that with two hands. <laughs> awesome. Now, so going into that qualifier, like, did you know who you're competing against or did you have much of a thought of if you're going to get one of those golden tickets or like, how did you sort of scope out the, the competition or how do you know what to expect, I guess? Uh, t- to be honest, that's probably part of it. I had absolutely no idea really what to expect. Um, I was only very, very, um, still am really very early days back into my fitness. Um, I had carried an, an injury for pretty much all of 2018. And, you know, I saw Super League, I'd been uh, really keen to give a go and and was just really intrigued and interested and, and excited to try something new. And, you know, the opportunity came up where it was in, in Bali and, you know, it's not too far from home and yeah I was just really excited to give it a go I didn't I had an idea of who I was racing against so you know I had a a bit of a guess of a guess of what I'd be up in that sense but I mean with that with this format of racing that they've created it's just it's so exciting and you just don't know like so much can happen and and so much can either go right or go wrong or there's there's so many opportunities for people to play to their own strengths and and weaknesses, it was, yeah, it was really quite the unknown for me, which I guess was part of the appeal after racing for such a long time and to have the opportunity to do something really new and different and exciting and that would challenge me. And, you know, the way I saw it is I wasn't going to come away empty-handed from that race regardless. And then, yeah, on top of it, I was just hoping and, and praying that I could grab one of those tickets to the, the championships later in the year where, where hopefully I should be in, in uh, some, some much better shape as well than I, than I went into Bali, which would be great. Awesome. That's amazing. And, and now, obviously, that now you're a part of that series. How does this sort of work? Because you're obviously coming from a background of ITU. So will you be sort of competing in, in both series of racing then? Is that how that would work? or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, in a week's time, I probably would have almost ticked every box and every distance. I've actually got a half Ironman coming up next next week. But my my focus is is still around the, the, the shorter stuff just at the moment. Um, and I think Super League has been really clever and, you know, accommodating to the athletes in that sense where they've, they've really tried to fit it around the, the ITU racing circuit as well. So 
you know, as far as I'm concerned, I think they really complement each other. Um, you don't have to pick one or the other. Um, you're, it's just really viable to do to do both, and you know, hopefully, both can can help the racing in in each other discipline. Awesome. And that's perfect. I like to hear that the ITU and the Super League are, are sort of working together on that and, and that the, it's relatively similar in that sense that you can sort of compete in both. So I, I like that a lot. And then it, it's crazy that you mentioned you're just going to be doing a 70.3 as well. And I guess that was one of my, my questions to come was, are you going to be competing or have you ever competed in either the Ironmans or the Ironman 70.3s? Now, obviously, this isn't your first one, right? No, so I actually um, competed in 70.3 Worlds last year, the end of September. Um, so that's something I'd always really wanted to do as well. And, you know, I've probably been really lucky when I have crossed over to, to choose and pick a couple of these 70.3s that they've they've all gone very well, arguably better than my ITU <laughs> career at times. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's just fits really well. Again, for me, I think I've done the sport for a really long time and, you know, sometimes mixing these things up um, I think it's just a, a benefit. And, you know, if I, I certainly do it where I think they're going to everything's going to complement all the racing that I'm doing. Um, so, you know, I, next week I'd, I'd love again to, to try and punch a, a ticket to Worlds at the end of the year. Um, and then I'll, I just will pick and choose how, how it all fits in to, to complement all the racing that I'm doing. So I'm not sabotaging one or the other, I guess, with, with timing and races and stuff. And I, I personally think it's pretty, pretty viable if you just choose smart. And yeah, I've, I've really, really enjoyed again, the dynamic. And again, I, I hope that I can take something away from, from this longer stuff to aid to, to the, the short racing uh, later in the year. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, th- I think you're, you're right on that. And as long as you're smart about it, like it sounds like you obviously are, then yeah, I mean, um, it's crazy that you're, you're doing all your, all sorts of tr- like that you're doing the Ironman, the 7.3 Ironmans, you're doing the Super League and the ITU. But uh, like you said, lots of people are doing that. And as long as you sort of plan it out and have it structured well, then the, there's no reason you couldn't. So I, I, I really like to see that. I'm actually, I'll be rooting for you then for that. Your 70.3. Now, uh, which, which 7.3 are you doing next week? Uh, I'm actually doing Bustleton. I'm in a 70.3 Busso. Um, so that's, for me, it's a home race as well, which is another, you know, bonus where you're, you're pretty lucky. You don't often get the opportunity to do big races at home. And it's one of my favorite races. And I, I've missed it for a few years just for, again, you know, that injury I was carrying last year and, and various bits and pieces. So the opportunity came up this year where, you know, I can give it a, give it a crack and, you know, it gives me an opportunity to go home and, and have some fun with friends and family and, and get to perform there. So, yeah, it's a great event. Um, definitely one of my favourite halves that I've done. And, yeah, I'm super pumped to be going going back to it and, and racing there again. Awesome. No, that's amazing. It's always nice to do a, a hometown or, or, sorry, a close-to-home race anyway. Now, have you ever done the Ironman, like the full Ironman, or is that something you ever plan on doing, or is that just sort of – that's that's too out of the range? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's the one, that's the one distance that I haven't done. And it's the one that right at this very second, certainly this year, I have absolutely no, no (laughs) thoughts of doing (laughs) this year. That's like you said, it's a little bit, a little bit far. I think I can manage uh, the rest together, but yeah, stretching into the, to the Ironman is probably just a little bit much for me at the moment. (laughs) No. Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes sense. eh? And I mean, so I guess competing in the ITU for so many years, um, has the Olympics sort of been sort of on your, on your watch or are you considering the 2020 Olympics? 
Yeah, look, my, my whole career at the Olympics has been on my watch. Um, unfortunately, I, I've been unable to make it there yet. Uh, and certainly uh, 2020 is still um, definitely on my radar. Uh, you know, I made some choices last year to, to really focus on some certain aspects of my racing to try and help that. And yeah, like unfortunately, you know, I had a bit of a disruptive year last year, which probably put me a little bit on the back foot but you know things are going good again now and and I'm moving forward and getting fit so most definitely it'll still be uh, a big target for me um and then after that I'm probably getting close to the to the end of of my IT career I think after that oh really eh uh, so after the 2020 Olympics uh, do you have any thought of what you're going to be sort of heading towards after that yeah, I, I think I, I'd like to then sort of try my luck and, and focus a, a little bit more specifically maybe on some of those half-distance half races um, and a little bit more of the non, non-drafting. non um, You know, it's something, again, I've always wanted to do post-ITU. I said I think it plays a lot to, to some of my strengths and, you know, if I could dedicate a couple of years with making that the focus and maybe the short, short things complementing that as opposed to the other way around, I think... Um, I think I'd be really happy to to then throw my hat in that ring for for a little bit. Awesome! No, that's very cool, and it makes a lot of sense. Eh? So, oh, very cool. And now, do you sort of have any races in mind that sort of you'd want? You said you'd never want to do a full Ironman, eh? That, that's something completely out of the cards. Like even long term, uh, say after you finish your ITU career. I won't say never because I'm sure the the curiosity and it's, once I possibly start transitioning more to to the focus on the longer stuff, it might be something that comes onto my radar just at the moment with with where my goals are and, and what I've been focusing on it's not something that I had my heart or my my mind set on but as I said you know sort of post 2020 I'll I'll probably reassess and who knows I'll say no and I'll probably end up doing one <laughs> <laughs> no that's awesome eh? or, or who knows we'll see how the championships go with the Super League eh? and then you might be a uh, full tilt the Super League so <laughs> you never yeah, know yeah exactly you know like and it is that's something else I, as I said I, I thoroughly enjoyed you know what they've done with that race and it was really exciting and different and it's for sure something I'd like to, to continue doing a little bit as well so yeah who knows I'll uh I'll let fate harvest awesome. path for me <laughs> exactly perfect so I mean now we're sort of speaking on the topic of the Super League and I know this is sort of a fairly kind of broad question I guess but for those who don't know how the qualifiers work that uh, that you just went through in Bali for the Super League uh, could you sort of like briefly explain the process in order for you to receive that golden ticket sort of to get into this the Super League championship series sort of how did it uh, how did it work and it was over the course of a, a three three days three events was it or it was it was a two-day event um but it it's I really like it because I feel like there's a, there's a number of, of different ways they're doing the racing. So it's not all preset. Um, so there's a number of different formats that can be chosen to race. So it keeps it a bit different and a bit exciting. Um, in Bali, the, the particular setup was we started off on day one with a 1,600-meter run time trial. And the result of that handicapped your race start for an enduro race uh, later in the in the day. So running being my strength, I, I was lucky to to finish second in the runtime trial. So that gave me you know some a few seconds advantage over a majority of the field going into to the triathlon. So that was two rounds of swim bike run, swim bike run, and that finished day one. 
on day two, we started uh, off with the, oh God, we'll do the enduro, I think we did. And that was three rounds of triathlon. So swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. And then they add the two results together from the weekend and that gives you an overall result. But there's a lot more to the racing than just that. For for example, on day two, they've got a number of rules um, that are implemented. So athletes that get lapped out um, are out. If you fall further back than 90 seconds, you're out. And probably the real brutal, brutal one in day two is that the last two athletes on each leg get eliminated. So the field continually gets smaller and smaller and smaller and you, you sort of have to be really aware of what's going on around you and who's behind you and, you know, it doesn't leave any, any room to be weak you just, or to sit up and relax. You know, you have to push the whole time because the moment you fall back outside of that, you're, you risk elimination. So, yeah, it's, it's really fun and really intense <laughs> and, you know, the laps are really small. So, you know, getting lapped out a lot easier than what it probably sounds, <laughs> um, you know, and for us, you know, the girls only had four girls finish on both days for, for that reason. Um, it's just, yeah, it's quite, quite brutal, but definitely keeps you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Eh? It's incredible to hear because it's truly like amazing racing to watch. And, and now for those, those qualifiers, like, did they tell you ahead of time to like, did you know the week before going into that qualifier that, uh, day one would be an enduro and day two, or you'd have a time trial run as well, or do they sort of tell you the day of, I always wonder how that worked. Yeah, look, I, um, I, ha- I had a fair idea. They, they had put it out, um, prior to race day. What was, what was going to, we were going to be doing. Um, there was a few small tweaks to that as well. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I knew what I was, what I was doing. And, you know, again, that played into my decision as well with going, because I knew, you know, out of all the time trials that I could have, you know, the best one I could probably get was a run, a run time trial. So, you know, those little things just played, played into my favor, I thought. Um, but yeah, as I said, it's, um, they can choose a, a variety of, of formats that they put together for racing. And, you know, I think it, it's great because it's, it's keeping the, the athletes more dynamic and, you know, it's less predictable what's, what's going to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's really cool. I, I love the fact they have different race formats in the Super League. And now, I mean, I guess between all those formats or the ones that you raced, I guess, in the, in the qualifier series, uh, which one like, do you have a favorite or um, do you have a least favorite out of all those formats that you raced in? <laughs> um, geez, yeah. Look, I've got to say, certainly the the, the day two in enduro race, the the three triathlons, that was really tough on on two days of racing. Um, but I don't know, maybe sadistically, I really enjoyed it as well, <laughs> um, and really really liked it. So, <laughs> oh, look, I haven't done all the formats either, so I don't think I can give a a fair comment yet on probably what I prefer the most, but. Yeah, I can certainly say that day two was probably was definitely the hardest. <laughs> hey, no, valid point. Hey, that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds like that enduro is definitely challenging. I know it, it's one thing to to hear it, but I'm sure to do it itself, especially after another day of racing. I think you, <laughs> I can easily see why that would be the, the most challenging. No, it makes sense. That's it. It's just, it's it's kind of incredible, like the the level of fatigue that can kind of set in over such a you know to add in another round and like such a sh- what you think is theoretically quite a short amount of time or or effort but it really it really zaps you and then on top of that certainly in in Bali you know the conditions could be 
quite challenging. You know, for for us, it was pretty hot and and humid as you'd expect over there. So you can certainly get a bit zapped out there if you're if you're not keeping cool and and trying to stay hydrated as well. So I think when you add all those things together, it was. Yeah, it certainly made for a tricky and difficult day, but you know that's that's what we signed up for, and that's what I knew was coming. So <laughs> I, uh, I guess I was sort of prepared for it to to hurt in that sense. For sure, no, that's that's awesome to hear. And I mean, looking forward, I guess, to the season ahead. Now that you qualified, uh, do you sort of know where the races are that will be like where they'll be held at, and? Obviously, your goal is to try and make all the races, but are, does it look like you'll be able to make most of the races? Does it fit in your schedule well? Look, I think I definitely. I'm hoping so. Um, not all of it's 100% confirmed um, at, quite at the moment, so I won't lock into to my exact ones. But I'm certainly looking at doing doing the ones that I that I can, and you know, hopefully that's that's all of them. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're certainly later in the year, so. You know, after after the season of racing, um, it'll be yeah, a really fun way to to finish off, and I certainly certainly hope that uh, I can be part of the the full championships for sure. Awesome, no, very cool. We'll be uh, we'll all be looking forward to that, and and I mean, on the side of that, I guess you're trying to also coordinate a little bit of the ITU as well, and then trying to also qualify for the Olympics. So, uh, sort of for Australia, what's the process? Or do you have to qualify in WTS series racing, or how does uh, how does Australia sort of pick for the Olympics? Yeah. Um, look, at certainly, I mean, we, we should be on track to be qualifying uh, three positions. You know, the, the test event that's coming up in Tokyo this year will have a big weight on that selection as well. Um, to be honest, uh, I haven't gone into the exact uh, qualification process. I don't believe that is actually out yet either. Okay. Um, but it will, will most likely, in the past, there's been automatic uh, selection in a number of events and then a discretionary position available as well. So at the moment for me, my focus is just on getting back fit and getting back competitive. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I had a, a pretty rough rough year last year. So I'm just kind of back on the building process and rather than sort of looking too far down the line in that sense, I'm just making sure that I'm getting myself fitter day by day and, you know, come sort of mid-season, once I go overseas to Europe, I'll, I'll be looking at certainly improving those results and getting my foot back in the door and, you know, hopefully then being competitive and, and being able to put my hand up and to say, notice me. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> Pick <perfect>. me. <laughs> Excellent. Aiden. No, that's perfect. And, and now it's funny because every uh, Australian triathlete or, or even from New Zealand, I guess, uh, they, they always say when it comes to the traveling, uh, like obviously if you're competing in the world triathlon series or competing in super league or, or even the Ironmans, like any of the leagues, there's so much traveling involved. So how do you sort of cope with that? I mean, I don't know how many races you typically do in a year, but is there quite a bit of traveling overseas at that point? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I, I, I certainly, I'm not a, I, I'd say what I would call, I don't really travel very well. Um, I, I feel like it sort of knocks me around a little bit. So uh, depending on sort of what races and what planning, I, I certainly try to eliminate uh, some of that if I can by moving too much unnecessarily, I guess. Um, so I, I go over to Europe or even at times into the Americas for the summer season over there. And, and I guess for me, trying to have kind of a base somewhere has probably been the most successful for me, even if you have to leave for two two weeks or a couple of weeks for, for a race or for changing. But I certainly like to have a little bit of stability and that's usually where I, I probably get settled and off, 
offset the the huge amount of travel. Um, I generally as well try and only do one big European trip. I know some other athletes have gone and come home and gone and come home, but I just found that for me personally that knocks me around quite a lot. So once I go away for the season, I'm I'm usually away until until the end of the year to, and I come come home for for good. Yeah, no, that's you know what I'd I'd probably be the exact same way. I know some guys. Well, I mean, Mike Riley, the the announcer of Ironman, he was just on the, the other week, and I think he said there was like ninety ninety nights or something like that. He was in hotels, just traveling all over. It's like <laughs> it's like it's insane, but it just it he's just kind of guy who it doesn't bother. But I mean, it, I feel it take a big toll on you, and especially with the time changes and all that. So yeah, I'm always curious to see what other people do. So interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, everyone does it certainly differently and you know how you can travel if you know if I had certainly lots more money you know I think a business class trip would be very different to you know economy just for those things to be able to get some sleep um that's probably the biggest one I think of all but you know every time you you pack up or you're packing your bike even if it's not for a big trip I feel like you're losing time you're you're losing a bit of brain space you know thinking about moving and and packing up and not leaving things behind and then you you do add you know the hours that you lose traveling and then you you might get sick from from the airplane or you get a bit run down because you're not sleeping properly and you miss hours here so you know I I just think I think it's just the disruption in general of of always being on on the go um so if you can minimize that at least certainly for periods of time um where you can just focus on on training and racing without that I think it can be you know, pretty beneficial. Yeah, for sure. No, that's perfect. I like that intent. Now, I guess moving over, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your racing, I guess. And now, I mean, for the, uh, let's talk about the nutrition aspect of the racing. Now, what sort of your strategy? Do you have a strategy, I guess, for gels and Gatorade on the water and, or like, sorry, water intake? Now, I mean, I know it's different if you were to do a 70.3 from like a super league or an ITU, um, but I guess talking about these 70.3, I guess that's probably the most advanced. Um, do you have a sort of a game plan for the upcoming 70.3 you have for like, uh, gels and Gatorade yeah. and all that? Yeah, definitely. I do. Um, I'll, I'll actually have to touch base on that. <laughs> I have it written down that it seems to work to a, to a T for me. Um, I guess some of the, the big ones for me going into it is, First of all, I guess you start with your pre before your racing. Like, what do you do the night before, the week before? And I don't know, nutritionists might uh, throw their hands up in the air here, but I don't really do anything different is the answer. I don't think, for me, having a huge, massive carbo-loaded dinner really makes me feel very good. I sort of eat pretty healthy, you know, obviously most most of the time, and I try and just stick stick to what I normally would um, prior to the race as well, you know, make sure, I, just, I just make sure I've fueled enough and I've definitely eaten enough and I've definitely had enough energy and yeah, for sure that there is their carbs and stuff. But I personally, you know, I don't cut out all my veggies because I think there's too much fiber. I just, I keep what I do day in, day out and I don't really see the need to change it drastically uh, before a race. Um, if anything, I've, I've found at times when I used to do that sort of years ago, I probably felt you know, a bit too heavy and a bit slow and a bit, a bit yuck in my stomach just from maybe having eating too much or maybe too much heavy food that, you know, I just, I probably didn't need as long as you've, you, the number one is just making sure that you've eaten enough during the day. And if anything, I'd sort of focus earlier in a, in a lunch or something the day prior, um, just so you get a good night's sleep. Um, and you're hundred percent sure that you've taken in enough and you're not still hungry come, come nighttime, you know, then you can fix it up. Um, you know, come race day. Um, 
I adapt a little bit, certainly with, with fluid. Um, I don't follow any rule. I, I drink to the conditions, I guess. You know, I remember doing Basso a couple of years ago. I think it was four degrees when we got out on the cycling course. It was absolutely freezing. And I hardly touched the water bottle the whole race, to be honest, because I just, I didn't need it. I wasn't losing the fluids. Yeah, I had a little bit, but, you know, if I'd stuck to, okay, I need two, two bidons of, of water, like, I would have had too much and, I, and it would have caused me upsets. So I kind of listen to my body and look at the conditions for what I need in respect to fluid. Um, I'm a really big fan also on using uh, just electrolytes. I, I don't use any sugary drink um you know there's a great product shots shots nutrition and they do the uh, some some great salt tabs and i use that to to make sure that I'm, I'm not just drinking water and staying hydrated especially in the hot races and then you know i, I separate that liquid from my food more so than anything so that i i know what i'm having of each thing and again like i just mentioned before if 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 you've put all your all your nutrients or all your calories into a drink bottle and all of a sudden it's it is four degrees and you just don't feel like drinking it you might throw your whole nutrition plan so that's probably one of my biggest tips is I I keep my gels for my gels and take in them according to what I need and my fluid for my fluid to take in again according to what I need in the conditions um I think once you start mishing mashing them together you might lose track of what you've actually had and what you haven't had Huh. That's actually really interesting. I, I love that's the first time I've heard that. And I think that's a really smart idea, right? And it's it's good because I just it's something I never factored in is having a cold race. You're right. You definitely wouldn't feel the the need for that extra hydration like you would if it's a it's a day in a very hot race, I guess, of some sort, right? So I th- I really like that idea. And I actually I love the idea too, that you're not switching anything, you're not changing anything before the race, which I think a lot of people would struggle with that because I remember my first race, I still remember Googling, trying, what's the best meal to, to have? And I was like, oh, some of these don't sound that great before a race. And it's because I just don't, I don't normally eat like that. So I, I, it's so true. Just stick to, <laughs> you know, you don't wake up in the morning and every morning and just feel like crap all the time. Like just keep eating what you're eating and it should carry over. Okay. So I, I really like that advice. That's, that's awesome. Now, do yeah, you find- great. No, I, I certainly found for me personally, it's, it seemed to work and, you know, I, I think I'm also probably quite a lucky athlete in the sense that I don't really have too many gut issues or, or things like that ever. You know, I've, I've roomed with people in like ITU races or something when we've had a morning start and, you know, they have to get up at 2.30 a.m. to eat breakfast and I like roll out of bed half an hour before <laughs> before race start and could, could eat my porridge and I'll have no problem. So, you know, that's probably another bonus. But I think like anything, you know, if it if it works day in, day out, there's no reason it's probably not going to work on race day. Awesome. No, it's true. And now do you use caffeine when you're racing at all? Yeah. So this is something I, I don't religiously use it. Um, I pick and choose my races to use it. Um, in some 70.3s, Yes, I, I don't drink coffee, which is probably quite unusual for a triathlete. Um, so the only time I really have caffeine or get caffeine is in certain races. So again, probably a little bit like um, the nutrition side of things. For me, I weigh up, you know, if it's a really early morning race and I'm not really renowned for being wide awake in the mornings, <laughs> um, I definitely consider 
you know, some caffeine pre-raise just to make myself a little bit more alert and wake up really. And then, yeah, I definitely in, in big races, um, for sure. If I, if I think it's going to help me, um, I will have it, but probably in smaller doses, I think than maybe what most people would. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that's cool. Yeah. I always like to hear what people sort of do with the caffeine intake. Some, like some triathletes just can't stand caffeine at all. And then others are hooked. And, and that's interesting. It's, it's cool to see someone who doesn't drink coffee and how they supplement the caffeine in the racing. So that's always a, a good approach and a good way of looking at it. So very cool. I think just, I'll just mention cause on that as well. Like it, when it comes back to that nutrition and trying what, you know, like it's something I had to trial. I know it's just showing how weak I was to caffeine. I remember doing a race one year and I only had it in, in my gels. And I remember being at, at doping after having a good race and I was trying to write my name and I was like, I had the shakes and I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. And I was like, all I'd had was gel. So it was just so sensitive to it. And then, you know, I look at that and go, arguably that's, was probably a little bit too, too much, even for me, even though it was probably a quarter of what other people would normally take. So it's just, again, I guess it's something personal that you need to, to play with and, and to know what, what suits and, and when to take it. For sure. No, that's very cool. I like that approach. And no, that's great. And now, I mean, switching it up a little bit, uh, talking about races and I guess any, any races you haven't done that yet that you'd consider like a bucket list race. Now, have you, do you have any bucket list race in mind that you haven't been able to do yet that you'd sort of love to do at some point in your career? Is there one that sticks out? Oh, I, I've definitely got a lot of races I would love to go and do for, <laughs> there's, there's a lot on my list I'd love to go to. Um, I guess a really cool race that I've never done, I think Alcatraz has always appealed to me, Escape from Alcatraz. Um, just, again, it's a little, a little bit different, you know, a little bit of novelty novelty there. I mean, if I was ever looking at Ironman, I'd have to say Kona just to, to see what it's all, all about and, and all the hype. Um, oh, look, I, I could probably make a list of <laughs> races that, I, that I'd still love to get to, you know, hopefully some I do. I'm sure there'll be a, a pile that I won't. Um, but, you know, triathlon's just got so many nice locations and, 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 and different, different races now that you can pick and choose from. I, I think that'll be the next phase a few years later in my career and hopefully I can start ticking and biting off a few of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eh? No, that's good. And, and it's funny you said the, the Alcatraz race and Kona, though I think those are the two most common choices. <laughs> it's funny. And actually the Alcatraz is something I never even really thought about. Like you always hear about Kona, but now I'm hearing all the time. Every time I ask that question, it, it seems to be Alcatraz. So it seems like a very interesting race. I, th- <laughs> I should probably get myself too, if everyone seems to love it that much. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah, like any, anything, I think it's got a little bit of novelty, novelty there, a bit different. You know, the course is a bit different and yeah, I mean, I certainly, I certainly, I, without having gone there, I can't, I can't say, but I think it would be great, great fun. I mean, on top of that, I, I wouldn't even mind sort of trying my luck at, you know, at an Xterra or a Maui race off-road as well, you know, one year, I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, as I said, my, my bucket list could go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, awesome. That's cool. And, and I guess that's the beautiful thing about the sport is it really could go everywhere. You've been doing it for so many years now and there's still just so much more that you could do with it. So I, I really like that. And I think that's one of the, the thing that drives us all to the sport is you can go all over the world and you can try out so many different courses and 
you could pretty much do your entire career doing that. So I, I think it's awesome. I think we're pretty privileged to have a sport like that. Oh, a hundred percent. I agree for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. And I mean, uh, let's sort of wrap, wrap it up with a little bit of training tips, I guess, for the age group triathletes. And now obviously you doing both the ITU and the super league. Now for those who want to try a super league race as an age grouper, now maybe they just came from ITU or, or the Ironman 7.3s and, and sort of want to try it out. How should they sort of focus their training? Now, is it like, have you been doing like high intensity and shorter distance workouts or sort of what did you make or what'd you do to sort of make it a successful transition over to the training for the super league? Yeah, look, it's, um, it, that was a really interesting one for me as well. And a bit of a learning curve. Um, as I said, I, I'm pretty early days in fitness. So it was something I was concerned about. Um, I certainly made sure that I, I'd got some turnover and done some of that shorter, faster stuff before I went over, um, just to, to wake up the body and, you know, you just need to have that speed, you know, however, I, I still think if you're still doing two days of racing and you've got a lot of recovery involved, I, I personally believe that you actually need like a good level of fitness and, and strength to do well on these, these races. So in that sense, you sort of, your normal training is good and just making sure that you're strong and, and fit, you know, that allows you to recover better. Um, but I definitely, if you're going to go, go shorter, I'd, I'd put some, some punchy stuff in there and make sure that you've got that, that turnover and, and probably some skills work as well. Um, you know, if, if the, if the age groups are getting a, anything similar to, to what we do, you know, there's a lot more corners and a lot more bike skills that could, could really be beneficial if you, if you practice that. And I think the, the third thing was, is just the transitions, not only from, uh, you know, swim, bike, run or running to swimming um, to practice those two. You know, it's pretty hard jumping in the water after, after running, um, but also just transitions themselves because there's so much time to be gained there. So that would probably be my advice, you know, a bit of, bit of speed, um, definitely some general fitness uh, and some transition work. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I like that it's a, it's something you don't really have to change it a whole lot. Right. So that, and that's a big thing. I think that's what would make it easier for someone to try out the age group races in super league is just, if you had to completely switch all your training altogether, it might be hard because then you'd have to fully commit to it. So it's nice that, and what you said there, I think is, is perfect, right? Like the transitions, because you're doing so many different styles of transitions, I think that's something that no one would really think about until until you get there, because like you mentioned earlier, there's a ton of thinking involved at those races by the, by the looks of it. So no, oh, that's awesome. I like that. No, de- definitely. I mean, even myself going over, it was a bit unknown for me. I mean, I think probably on one of the days going, going back into the, the swim number two was probably where I lost most time. Cause I just couldn't for the life of me get my swim cap on my head. <laughs> I was so wet and sweaty. I don't know how long I was running trying to get that thing on my head and I just I just couldn't do it. It just kept sliding off. So, you know, kind of comical as much as frustrating. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely things even for us and for me still to be practicing and, and learning. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know what? Even even thinking about those transitions, I just did not think about it. Yeah, having to put a swim cap on uh, <laughs> right after after another workout, like a run or a bike. So that that's funny, interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, I've definitely got a, a slippery, slippery forehead. <laughs> I remember, I, I remember watching uh, Kerry was running up the road ahead, ahead, and hers just went pop straight on, and I was like, oh, sweet, and mine just not pop like hers. <laughs> mine awesome. took me so long, and I was like, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious, eh? No, that's all. It's all good. It's good stuff. <laughs> now, sort of, I guess, still looking at the age group triathlete. Um, looking at the, the ones who are starting, I guess, their, their first year, sort of the, the brand new triathletes, uh, what should they be focusing on, I guess, so that they don't feel like super overwhelmed or, or find themselves like overtraining or, or overspending when they first start in triathlon? Uh, like, do you have any recommendations on sort of like the, the basic equipment they need or like just how to avoid the overtraining or, or how to feel or how to avoid, sorry, feeling overwhelmed? Yeah, definitely. Look, I, my first would be, you know, maybe invest in someone that can give you some training advice. I think, uh, I think age group, elite athletes and age group athletes, when you're looking after yourself, I think can tend to, to overdo things quite easily. You know, you're feeling great one day, you're feeling great the next day. And then all of a sudden you get to a week later and you've got some niggle because, you know, load, load management is, is really important. And, you know, you want people to enjoy the sport and have fun with what they're doing. So, um, in that sense, yeah, I, I, or I join your local group and, and make it fun because that's what's going to keep you motivated to keep the sessions going and, and keep things in check. Um, certainly, I'd, I'd recommend doing some open water practice. I think for a lot of age group athletes, that's one of the, the points of, you know, a bit of anxiety for, for a lot of people being not only out in the open water but with so many people swimming around you and you know getting hit and people in close proximity and and different conditions like make sure you spend some time to get comfortable in the open water um and just you know practice some tips to for siding and I think the biggest thing is just being comfortable you know getting used to having people around there and you know the elements and certainly depending on where you're swimming, maybe what's underneath you and just and losing those inhibitions and, and that anxiety around around open water swimming. Yeah, that would probably be my, my biggest things. And, you know, in, in regards to equipment, you definitely don't need the fanciest or, or the fastest of anything, especially if you're starting out, you know, like anything, see if you like it and you can always, you can always upgrade. Um, the biggest one I would probably say if you're going to invest in anything, um, is bike shoes. Oh, they, wow. bike shoes, yeah. They probably are, yeah, that's that's something that just makes such a such a huge difference to to cycling once you get comfortable comfortable on them. That's right. That's a, that's a really great piece of advice. That's something I wasn't thinking about, but yeah, no, that's true. That's probably one of the best things to, to buy if you're starting out. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Cool. And I also agree with the, the open water swimming as well, getting comfortable in that and losing that anxiety. And it's one thing if someone trains in somewhere they're used to, like say if you have a, a local lake near where you live and that's where you're doing your training, it is also nice to get out and see some other lakes as well or some other bodies of water because once you get into a, a new body of water, that's sort of when the anxiety may kick in for some people and you're like, okay, like you have to overcome that you are going to be fine out there, but you, it's it's the it's the unknown. That's what sort of gives people that anxiety of the open water swimming. And, and like you said, swimming with other people around you to sort of feel that environment of, of race day. So I, I like all that stuff. That's perfect. Yeah. Great. No, I, I definitely think there's a lot for people to, to learn about it and to be able to stay relaxed in the water can just make such a difference 
to, to your whole swim. Man, I, I'm still trying to learn it sometimes <laughs> myself still, you know, in the middle of a race, you know, it's, it's if, if things are going wrong or tough, I, I tense up and just, for, you know, for everybody, like the, the, the more calm and, and relaxed you can be out there, the, the happier and, and safer you will feel out in the water. Awesome. No, perfect. And I know, I guess speaking of, uh, like you were just mentioning about the swimming now, what's sort of your balance of training like between obviously you have three disciplines of swim, bike and run. Now, do you tend to do say like more cycling than running and, and more swimming or like, is it all pretty even or, or how do you base off your, tr- your training? Um, it depends, it depends where I am, um, in the season. So, for, for me, out of the three disciplines, swimming is my, my weaker leg. Um, you know, so last year I, I dedicated a big amount of time to, to swimming. So that ratio was completely out of whack. You know, I, I was swimming up to 50K a week, um, but not doing a lot of running running or cycling. You know, probably on a, on a what I will just call an average stereotypical week, you know, I'll probably swim maybe six times, um, you know, probably around 26, 30 kilometres, I guess, um, per week. And then, you know, cycling, I'll probably cycle about five times a week as well, probably around 300K. And running, I usually run about six times a week as well, and that's probably around, I don't know, somewhere between 70 and 90K as a, as a generic kind of week but you know that they, those things can definitely you know fluctuate depending on a block of training or or what needs to be worked on but yeah I would call that kind of it's it's kind of even I guess in 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 that sense from the number of sessions put into each discipline yeah yep well and it, you know what that's actually it's amazing that's a it's a lot of hours put into each discipline like a lot of distance i was surprised to hear 20 to 30 on a, on a given week for swimming obviously i've got to do a lot more <laughs> clearly but because i'm nowhere near that but it's uh no it's that's really cool to hear and now it's especially cool i guess because you're i mean you're doing the 70.3s but a lot of your work is also in the itu and the super league which is more sort of the, the fast-paced sprint so it's awesome to hear that you're still putting in that much volume despite your main focus is being in the, sh- the shorter distances. So that's actually really interesting. I didn't know I was expecting less numbers, but just sort of obviously faster workouts. Yeah. I think that's something that I've always done, like I guess a decent amount of volume. I don't think I'm the only one alone in training like that. Maybe some, like certainly, like you said, with some swimming and stuff like there's there's definitely other athletes that don't, I wouldn't do as much as myself in the water. So that's my weak leg. So it's something that I continually try and keep at least a decent amount up there for to keep the improvements and try and stay strong. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I, I've never really had that trouble with the crossover with, with the 70.3s to the short stuff. And that's probably a, a big a reason in is, is I really haven't trained, changed much of, my training, you know, there's definitely a few tweaks here and there that I would do if I focused on it more intently, but yeah, I wouldn't be doing probably any more hours than what I do now to go long. Awesome. No, that's perfect. I, I actually really like that. That's, it's cool to hear. And I'm, I appreciate that you broke all that down because people always kind of wonder how much, how much the pros are, are putting in and putting in for the training. So you're obviously keeping busy every day <laughs> for sure. So, and you're coming on podcast. So, Hey, your day's busy. <laughs> awesome. yeah. 
So, I mean, uh, let, let's sort of finish it up. If, if you're up for it, let's do the one, uh, one minute Q and a fire round. So we'll try and ask as many short answer questions as we can in one minute and we'll see how many we can get through. Are you in for that? Okay. <laughs> Hi, my brain's working. <laughs> <laughs> We're all ready to go. So let's, let's do it. All right. So I'm going to start the timer right now. So what is your favorite race distance out of all the forms of triathlon? Olympic. Perfect. And what's your go-to pre-race breakfast? Porridge. Oats. Perfect. Now, who's your biggest influence or inspiration in triathlon? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, <laughs> I, I always, when I started triathlons, I always really looked up to probably Loretta Harrop. I just, there was something about her that, that Perfect. yeah. Yep. Hey, no, it makes sense. That's, uh, that's good. And, uh, what's the most beautiful place you travel to? Ooh, um, definitely probably somewhere in, somewhere in Europe that I've seen one of the, the Mediterranean places down there, Span- France, Spain, um, and training camp. I'd have to probably say St. Moritz. Oh, awesome. That's really cool. And now who do you think looking at the super league, I guess, who do you think is the biggest up and comer in that sport that we should be looking out for? Uh, probably Cassandra Bagond. Oh, awesome. And one of the last questions, do you use Zwift or do you ever do any Zwift racing? I don't, I, I don't do Zwift. Uh, I'm outside or I'm inside watching a mirror or television. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, that's good. And I mean, we're over, we're over the one minute, but I still want to ask it anyway. What's the most grueling or toughest course that you've raced? Oh, that would... That would probably have had to have been actually both duathlon courses, either Edinburgh up a, a mountain called, I think it was called Arthur's Seat. That was a lot of climbing or Penticton um, where I won in 2017. That had a pretty brutal, brutal hill in it. They were, they were tough. Wow. Awesome. No, those are both two interesting races. It's crazy. Yeah. It's both from the duathlon. Awesome stuff. So, yeah, that that's pretty much it. That that's a wrap. So obviously I keep going all day, but obviously by the sounds of you got a pretty busy day with uh training and that sort of thing. So we won't keep you here any longer. But who are your sponsors this year? And obviously, do you have any coaches or training partners that you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah, look, definitely definitely I've got some some sponsors that are, are very helpful. So, you know, as as always, thanks to Brooks and Shots Shots Nutrition, Blue Seventy, Scotty, uh Cyclemania zealous swimmer as well and and verve cycling um these guys have helped me out for for a couple of years so as always a big props up to them for 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 helping out awesome very cool and i mean uh so for those out there who don't already follow you uh where's the best place they can sort of get all your content at and uh, follow you throughout the year of racing uh yep you can follow me on on instagram at uh shitty ryan um, and, or on Twitter at Flick Shady Ryan. And I'm also have a Facebook page, um, Felicity Shady Ryan Triathlete. Any of, any of those has, has some content, content going up. Perfect. And, uh, we'll also be looking forward to seeing you on this super league, uh, official website. Once uh, you start getting, getting in all those races, cause we'll be following you there. So we'll be rooting for you at the same time. So obviously best of luck with all that and, and the rest of your season. And thanks again for coming on the show. So we'll be sure to connect again uh, another time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Awesome. Take care. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye now.
Well, guys, there you have it. Felicity has an amazing story, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to her tips and her stories. And definitely be sure to follow her throughout the next couple of years because I think she'll absolutely be a big name to watch out for in this sport. So again, thanks so much for sharing all that today, Felicity. I'm so glad we can have you on the show. Now, guys, lastly, if you want to hear more podcasts like these, then definitely hit that subscribe button, and you can follow me on Instagram at pacing.and.racing, and you can search Pacing Racing on YouTube. Now, lastly, if you did like this episode, then please take a minute or two to leave a kind review on the podcast channel as this helps us get heard by more listeners throughout the podcast platform algorithms. Other than that, guys, thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you next time. 